Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college, or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, January 3rd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the 2024 legislative session is underway. It just began yesterday. Lawmakers have chosen a new Speaker of the House. Plus, Mississippi's agricultural value dropped more than 10 percent in 2023. Hear what an expert is saying about that. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi House of Representatives has elected a new Speaker of the House, Republican Jason White of West. He was sworn in yesterday for his first of a four-year term. I, Jason M. White, do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully support the Constitution of the United States. White was Speaker Pro Tem, a position just filled by Republican Manley Barton of Moss Point when he stepped into the role of House Speaker. In White's first speech, he said his chamber will tackle issues like education and workforce development. The folks who sent us here are expecting us to adhere to our campaign promises, to hold fast to the ideas of limited government and individual freedom. However, As to this notion of purity in politics, let's not be so heavenly-minded that we do no earthly good. Let's focus on Mississippi and her people. Help them where we can and get out of the way everywhere else. Even as we experienced a crippling pandemic over this last term, these last four years, in some sectors, of both private business as well as in government, our state has enjoyed monumental surpluses. Revenues have soared. Unemployment, as we measure it, is at an all-time low. We've made tremendous strides in education over the last 12 years, finally getting off the bottom in at least some areas that are measured nationally. Our teachers are paid better than ever. Our test scores and the gains and improvements in those areas we test are standing up well compared to other states. There's been a renewed focus on workforce development to bring all interested parties and efforts into a more streamlined approach. 
this focus and these efforts, and specifically the spending of taxpayer dollars on workforce development, must provide the most bang for the buck moving forward. Get our people trained for highly skilled, good-paying jobs that are actually available here in our state. Our investments in infrastructure over these years, specifically highways and bridges, even rail and ports and airports, it's bearing fruit. Taxpayers like and actually don't mind seeing their money put back into Mississippi's infrastructure. Allowing for and attracting future economic development, private investment, and job creation. White is also asking the body to keep an open mind when discussing how the state can help low-income families afford health insurance. I'm a small-town country lawyer, so I know just enough to be dangerous in the Medicaid space. Medicaid is incredibly complex. Here, here is the issue for our state. We already have a large population of our citizens that receive some form of Medicaid, several hundred thousand, six, seven hundred thousand individuals. There's only 2.9 million of us. The question becomes for us... If we're going to add to the roles in whatever form it takes, how many is that? Can we afford it? What does that look like? We've said it's about working folks who are making money. They make too much to qualify for, for any sort of Medicaid assistance or, or free health care, if you will. So they're working by the very nature of the fact that they're disqualified from Medicaid. What I'm saying is I want the focus to be on the fact that they are working Mississippians. The Affordable Care Act is the law of the land. It's been with us now for many years 12 it has not changed 40 40 41 states now have it we need to figure out a way as a poor state for this for this segment of our population our working population we need to figure out a way to find coverage for them i don't know what that looks like i'm going to ask just as our hospitals were willing to take a larger tax if you will to enhance the medicaid reimbursement for our hospitals I'm going to ask our hospitals and providers in general to be willing to come to the table and hopefully offer a solution, hopefully hand-in-hand with the business community. I've had talks with you know, Delta Council, MEC, and the BIPEC folks trying to figure out a way to bring them on board because it, you know, they are our state's chamber of commerce. They know what's going on on the ground as far as employment and jobs. They are our private sector. I want them to have a seat at the table to help figure this out. What we can't happen is we do find some sort of coverage for our working poor, and folks that are covered turn from whatever furnished insurance they have with their employer to that. That has happened in a few states. We don't want that to happen here. We strictly need it for the folks that are uninsured. Also in his policy priorities, addressing school choice, so families can decide if their children will attend a private, charter, or another school district. It is a volatile subject in our state. And and somebody would say, well, the public schools aren't for it and the private schools aren't for it, so who's for it? Let me tell you who's for it. Parents are for it. This isn't about what public school administrators or private school administrators want. This is about what parents want for their children. Here's how I envision that. I don't know what that looks like. Some states have not allowed kids that were currently in private school to even be eligible. Some had a period of time where they weren't eligible before they were able to come in and apply for these scholarships, if you will. My focus is on the underperforming districts and in school districts that don't provide these alternative career tracks in the career tech space, whether whatever that looks like. Wherever those aren't offered, I think parents should have the option now, and I don't think that is such a radical idea that 
parents could decide and ask for their child to be released from their public school district to attend, even if it's another, only other public schools that are willing to accept them. I don't know what it looks like. I've already told you all I know enough to be dangerous on Medicaid. I know just enough in this area to be dangerous. Here's what I know. I want to give parents in these underperforming districts some other option besides pick up and move if you can afford to move. Because make no mistake about it, we have choice now, but here's the choice. Either have the money to pay for private school or have the money and means and wherewithal to pick up and move to some other zip code within our state that does have a dynamic and good public school district. And, and make no mistake, there's a whole bunch of them. They're good. We don't want to do anything to harm them. I'm not going to push legislation that forces school districts to accept kids that want to have a choice. I'm simply saying the school where you are located would not be able to keep you there. You wouldn't have to be released. It's going to be up to you and your parents to find a school district that will accept you. White also announced four new appropriations committees. They'll be created so the process of crafting the state's $7 billion budget is less hectic and it will give lawmakers more time to ask questions. In the Senate, Lieutenant Governor Republican Delbert Hoseman is to be inaugurated tomorrow for his second term in office, and also Republican Dean Kirby of Pearl will be serving a second term as the Senate's president pro tem. Coming up, Democratic leadership in the House shares their reaction to the new speaker. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Did you get some new tech this holiday season? A new phone or a tablet? Download the MPB Public Media app so you can listen live to MPB Think and Music Radio from anywhere. From the app, you can access podcasts of our local and national programs. Plus, you can talk to us from the app to send your questions and comments directly to your favorite shows. There's also PBS Kids and MPB Television on the app so you can watch live or past broadcasts. Get the MPB Public Media app for your tech, new and old. On Money Talks, we discuss money news and take your questions about personal finance. For 15 years, we've provided free financial information for Mississippians. I hope you can join me, Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. or anytime on our podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Following the swearing-in of the new House Speaker, Jason White, Democrats say they are hopeful about having productive policy discussions. House Minority Leader Robert Johnson of Natchez says the previous speaker wasn't interested in talking about ways Mississippi could expand Medicaid along with similar topics. He tells our Will Stribling this could mark a change in how the body works together. I'm uh, energized and excited, as I usually am. Uh, I enjoy the work that I do. I think I think what we do is important, and I take my job very seriously. So I'm very glad to be back and ready to go to work. What did you think of the speech that the new speaker gave today, and um, what issues do you feel like you and your caucus will be able to uh, work, work with Republicans to get things done? Well, I, I think the overall tenor of his speech was great. It talked about inclusiveness and working together. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned about the position on public education, not as concerned as I originally was, because he did uh, point out that what he's concerned about is families being able to choose the best thing for their children. But I think that that best thing should be within the framework of public education, 
we should not be taking public education dollars and giving them to private schools. And he didn't say that, and I hope that's not where we're headed. So I think we can find common ground on that. Yeah, yeah and he, he said that that isn't his intention. That doesn't want, isn't what he wants to do. Yeah. And then um, on the issue of health care for, for working people, it talked a bit about that, and he said he was interested in, like, looking what that could look like and that it – talking with cms about you know waivers that include work requirements that kind of thing what uh, bills that wouldn't just outright expand medicaid but would get a lot of the same stuff done with some extra stipulations on it with that intention of just getting health insurance to you know working people that don't have it the the important thing is that i think we need to get health care to working people i don't care what you call it i don't care what the process is you know i want to remind people there's a billion dollars out there with a uh, less than le- uh, less than 10% or right at 10% of a state investment to get a billion dollars to cover 200 over 200,000 working people. That's right there for us. All we have to do is write and say we want it. Now, if people want to get creative because they don't want to call it what it is or want to do something else, I'm fine. What I will say is that what I was encouraged by is that this speaker, he didn't just say get money for hospitals. He didn't just say help. He healthcare, he outlined that he wants to provide coverage for working people, get healthcare providers, get paid for their work, all the things that, w- that need to happen, all those things could happen if we took a billion dollars and put it into the economy and put it into healthcare, we could do that. But the important thing is that he understands something needs to happen and a whole lot more. He even said that a lot more than we've ever done before. So I'm encouraged by that. That means it, it's on the table. He said that he expects a a bill to resolve the ballot initiative process to get introduced, but that that it will likely include a higher signature threshold than required previously. What do you think about that? I don't have a problem with a higher signature threshold. We get we can get that that power of the ballot back in the hands of the people. What I what I do like is that he didn't say we got to put this restriction on it or you can't put this in the bill. What he essentially said by not saying it was that we're gonna we're gonna pass the ballot initiative in the simplest and most forthright, straightforward way that we can. And if we can get that kind of bill out of the House, it would be a great accomplishment. Anything else that you want to share about, you know, your priorities or what we can expect in the coming weeks? Uh, we're going to continue to focus on health care for working people. We're going to continue to protect and work hard to enhance public education. We want to provide uh, economic development for uh, People like in the Delta and in southwest Mississippi where the attention has not been focused, we want to do that. And we want to continue to provide and work to provide laws and bills that will provide the services that people care about. People care about their roads and bridges, their water sewer. They care about their public education, their health care, and they care about the economy in their areas. We as legislators, we can do that. We can do that without talking about anybody's gender orientation or, or, or going in, into somebody's doctor's room telling somebody what they can do with their bodies. Let's, let's, let's put, we want to work on putting that back in the hands of the people who care about what's going on in their communities and do all we can to help them. And I like the fact that the, the uh, Speaker Pro Tem, Manly Barton, again, stressed the importance of all of us working together and how they're all interested in doing that. So I feel good about it. Democrat Robert Johnson of Natchez is the House Minority Leader. Next, Mississippi's agricultural value dropped more than 10% in 2023. One expert says he's not concerned. Hear why. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Did you get some new tech this holiday season? A new phone or a tablet? Download the MPB Public Media app so you can listen live to MPB Think and Music Radio from anywhere. From the app, you can access podcasts of our local and national programs. Plus, you can talk to us from the app to send your questions and comments directly to your favorite shows. 
There's also PBS Kids and MPB Television on the app so you can watch live or past broadcasts. Get the MPB Public Media app for your tech, new and old. Want to keep up with MPB? Go to mpbonline.org or you can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at mpbonline. What can you do with the MPB radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The value of Mississippi's agricultural economy fell by more than 10 percent last year, and that was due in part to drought and market changes. But the industry recorded one of its highest revenue totals for a single year, something an expert points to as a source of reassurance moving forward. Our Mike McEwen speaks with Will Maples, an assistant professor of agricultural economics at the Mississippi State University Extension Service. He says the high prices from agriculture at the beginning of last year played a major part in sustaining the state's ag economy. So really the story that drove the decrease we saw uh, this year is we were coming off just a really good year of high prices across the board. Uh, on the row crop side, we last year that drove us up to that record high was near record high prices for all crops. So just it was just mainly the fact that we, we were coming from the top, so we prices are down this year, which has led to that lower number this year. But still good, so that's why we're still second highest we've uh, recorded because price is still good. We're just coming from a very near record high level last year. And I know that with row crops in particular, you know, m- much of this summer and even into the fall, there is a really significant drought across much, much of the state, at times the entire state. What impact did that drought have on agriculture, if at all? Yes. Yeah, so on the row crop side, uh, in pocket, it had a very severe impact. Um, South Mississippi, really anywhere south of Highway 16, the producers down there, especially on non-integrated ground, they had a tough time. Uh, Corn, soybeans, I mean, corn and cotton, soybeans and cotton particularly got hit hard uh, from the drought. But if you look overall at the state, uh, fortunately for most of our production is in the Delta region, irrigated ground. Uh, it didn't have as much of an impact. Uh, yields for soybeans were record high this year across the state. For the state average, corn wasn't off too bad, and cotton statewide was good as well. So on from a row crop perspective, it had a tre- drought had a tremendous impact on our row crop producers in South Mississippi. But just due to how production dispersed across the state overall, it, we were still pretty high from a production standpoint. And could you just explain why I'm seeing here that cotton production values fell more than 35%? Could you explain why that happened? That was mainly driven by just lower cotton prices. Uh, cotton lost a lot of acreage in the state this year. 
Uh, it was down over 150,000 acres from last year. Uh, coming into this growing season, cotton prices compared to corn prices weren't great. Uh, they were hanging around 80 cents. So there was a lot of uncertainty around the cotton market. So a lot of our acres that usually is cotton in the state shifted to corn this year, which led to those just the lower lower number of acres, thus a lower value of production for this year. And just out of curiosity, um, a majority of the corn that is cultivated in Mississippi, would you say that's for you know food and human consumption, or does it go more towards ethanol or livestock feed? I would say hardly none of it goes for human consumption. Uh, we don't really grow that type of corn in Mississippi. Most of our stuff's probably going into the poultry industry. Uh, poultry feed mills across the state buy a large majority of our corn, and anything else that probably ends up on the river is getting exported. And that actually leads to my next question. The poultry industry in Mississippi, by and large, is the largest agricultural producer and by and large has a higher value. And they saw their value of production drop more than 22% this year. Could you explain that? Yes. So it's kind of the same story we saw with row crops is that poultry was also coming off really high prices we saw last year. So... Uh, they weren't bad. Poultry, chicken, egg prices aren't bad. It's just we were coming from really high prices we've seen the last couple of years, so it's had it had to come down. And what impacts, if any, could these declines in value have on these industries, both separately and, I guess, together as the state's agricultural economy? So I'd say overall the ag economy is still very strong in Mississippi. Uh, we're still seeing good good prices. There are concerns that you know inflation's hit everybody across the country pretty hard, particularly our agricultural producers. They're facing higher production costs, so even with these higher prices, margins are 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 pretty slimmer than they had been in years past. So you know. Any, any, any bit of price increase we can see going forward be helpful for across the state for the industry, but overall ag still very strong in Mississippi. How, how do things look moving forward, or do you have any projections, any any opinions on what, I guess, these these agricultural industries on their own and together, what that might look like in a year or two years from now? Uh so I can speak more towards row crops because that, that's my area of specialty. I, I don't really cover the forestry, the poultry, or livestock areas. But from a row crop perspective, I think the future still looks pretty bright. Um, there's I don't see anything on the horizon to really cause a huge negative impact to the current prices that our producers are receiving. And I think over the next few years, the outlook still looks pretty bright for that industry in the state. This really extreme drought that much of the state experienced this summer, to your knowledge, has that maybe forced some farmers or some operations to change their approach on how they go about cultivating these row crops? I wouldn't say so at this point. So, I mean, it, 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 it's one year, um, you know, 
drought, dry weather, something producers deal with all the time. You know, Mother Nature dictates a lot of agriculture. So I wouldn't say this one-year occurrence has really made people change too much. But going forward, if we do continue to see this drought extend into next year, it could definitely start putting some different production practices and uh, potential in, in some producers' minds. One counterpoint, too, is the biggest issue with the drought, too, in South Mississippi is, like, is the impact it's had on the cattle, cattle herd. It's, it's forced a lot of folks to probably sell off some cows that they would have retained just due to not having to grasp the seed. So... That is, that's one area that it probably has affected how producers are going about their business. Will Maples is Assistant Professor of Agricultural Economics at the Mississippi State University Extension Service. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi programming. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. At 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio. Have a great day. Great day.